Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and, and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Simon. I'm one of the ministers here, and what a privilege to be able to share on this wonderful occasion. I want to think this evening about putting first things first, and the first things that God put in place at that first Easter. I recently had 72 hours away in Cornwall, and I went there to rest and pray, and two little things stood out to me that I was rem reminded of this morning, so I've typed them up here. And uh, the first was that as I was walking on the harbour, I saw a little brass plaque that uh, commemorated someone, gave their name, and then had this epithet, she was always putting the world to rights. Always putting the world to rights. And many of you know that's a funny kind of English idiom, which means you're gossiping, and you're talking a lot about stuff and about people, but whether or not you're actually making any difference remains to be seen. Always putting the world to rights. And if we want to understand the significance of today, of what this symbolizes, represents what we celebrate today, of Easter, it is that God in Christ Jesus two millennia ago came to put the world to rights. The second thing that stood out to me, I was in Cornwall, I went and visited a vintage 
clothes shop. I, I discovered this look in about 1982, and I've kept it. But um, this vintage shop, my missus likes. So I went to say hello to the lady there, and uh, I asked her how her business was, and she said it was. She said it's really slow. She said there's no one around, and then she said this. She said, "But take a deep breath. It's 11 days till Easter when life comes back." <laughs> What she thought was that there'd be all the tourists coming down for Easter holiday and there'd be people coming in her shop and she'd flog a few things and make a few quid. But actually, she was spot on. Easter day, take a deep breath because life comes back. When Jesus puts everything to right, life comes back. And he wants to put things right in your life. And he wants life to flood into your life. Jesus' resurrection means that God has the last word. It means that Jesus is Lord. It means that his promises, his word, are true and dependable. It means that God's justice is satisfied. It means that our sins have been covered and atoned for. It means that we are acquitted on all charges when we trust in him and we are free to go. It means that evil is defeated. It means that death is undone, that eternal life is secured, that heaven is open, that Jesus is going to come back for us. And until he does, we've got work to do extending his wonderful kingdom. What an amazing thing, Easter. And that's what we're celebrating this weekend. No wonder St. Paul said about Easter that these events, the death on Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday of Jesus are of first importance. We're putting first things first this evening. Firstly, the resurrection occurred on the first day. We heard in our reading that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and others went to the tomb. The first day of the week. Our Lord Jesus was crucified on the Friday, and Saturday was the Sabbath, where in, according to Jewish tradition, you're not allowed to do any work, you're not allowed to travel, you're not allowed to go for a walk, you're not allowed to lift anything. Jesus is in the tomb, and there on the Sunday morning, before the sun rose, the men were snoring, but the women were awake and ready. And they rushed to the tomb in order to embalm Jesus' body. They weren't expecting a sequel to Good Friday. When we hear this phrase on the first day of the week, the gospel writers are not simply saying that was the time at which it happened, although it was the time at which it happened. But it's pregnant with meaning. The very first time that we encounter that phrase, the first day of the week, is right at the beginning of the Bible. It's just a couple of sentences in to chapter one, and we read about the first day of the week when God brought life out of nothing. 
brought order and beauty and wonder out of chaos. He spoke a word, let there be light. And there was light and God divided the light from the darkness. He speaks into the darkness. He speaks into the nothingness. He speaks into the emptiness and he creates life. On Good Friday, darkness covered the earth. The Lord turned out the lights and looked away from his son as the most beautiful light the world's ever seen assumed the human condition and took upon himself our sins and the pun- God's punishment for those sins. And God turned away. The lights went out. But on the first day of the week, God speaks that word and life rushes into the dead body of Christ and up from the grave he arose. Easter day was the first day of the Jewish week, but it was the first day of new creation. Easter day resets the clock. It resets history. It resets human destiny. It reverses the curse that entered when that first Adam sinned and went against God. I love the words of wise old Sam Ganji in Lord of the Rings. And he says to Frodo, when Frodo is just at the end of himself carrying the burden of the the ring, he says this, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. And that is the morning of Easter. When life and light dispels the darkness. And when you trust in Jesus, and I trust you'll trust in him. That's what it means to put your faith in him. It just means to trust. It means to say yes to him. It means to welcome him into your life. It means to put him front and center. It means to say, I need you to help me, to forgive me, and be in my life. I need you, God. When you trust in him, it becomes the first day of the rest of your life. And the best day of the rest of your life, although every day after that is going to get better as you come nearer to spending forever with him. New creation, new beginning, new day dawning, new life. On the first day of the week. And I wonder if there aren't some people here this evening. You wonder what on earth you're doing in church. Maybe your pal brought you along, a member of your family. You thought, I'm listening to a fat vicar from the West Country. What's all this all about? You listen to the music. And Jesus is saying, listen. Let this be the first day of the rest of your life. A new beginning. Let me come into your life. Let me dispel the darkness. Let me come into the emptiness and the void. Let me bring my light and my life. The first day of the week. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. It's a funny phrase, funny term, first fruits, but it's a biblical one. St. Paul, the apostle, said, Christ is risen from the dead and has become for us the first fruits. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. What did he mean by that? Well, you know, Jesus was killed at Passover. Passover was a very sacred feast 
for the Jewish people. It's when they celebrated and commemorated and identified with the fact that God had intervened on their behalf and had brought them out powerfully from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he did it in a remarkable and very strange way. He told the Jewish families to take a lamb, to slaughter the lamb, to collect the blood, to make a brush out of hyssop, to to use it like a paintbrush and go to the front door of their house. And there on the lintel on the top and on the sides of the frame, on those three points to put the blood. I was a butcher. I worked at slaughterhouses before I became a priest. I've been around a lot of this stuff. It runs. And just imagine as they stand in front of the wooden door, Splash, splash, splash. What's going to happen? Red blood is going to make a sign of the cross. And then when the angel of death came, when it saw the blood, it passed over. It passed over that home and did not bring judgment. It's a mystery And it's a marvel, but somehow there, 1,300 years before Jesus, there is an anticipation of what Jesus would achieve. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He dies at Passover. He dies for us. He sheds his blood for us. And when we trust in him, look to him, say yes to him, in a mysterious way, it's as if that blood stands between us and the judgment we deserve. And judgment passes over because it's fallen on him. He was killed at Passover, but here's the thing. He was raised at first fruits. Three days after Passover was the celebration of the first fruits. And what was that? Again, from Jewish tradition, that was when they remembered and celebrated and thanked God, not simply for Passover, bringing them out of Egypt and slavery, but of bringing them into the promised land, and having the first harvest. First fruits, the first harvest, a sign, a symbol, a celebration of God's provision of a new home. Jesus dies. He dies at Passover. He rises at first fruits, and he is the first fruits, and we who trust in him will join with him in rising. C.S. Lewis brilliantly writes this. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man, and he has met, fought, and beaten the king of death, and everything is different because he has done so. First day of the week, he makes all things new. First fruits, he's the pioneer of life and opens up heaven for us. Then thirdly, Mary Magdalene is the first lady of the resurrection. We read in John's gospel, as we heard read to us, it's in Mark, it's in Matthew, that Jesus appears to Mary first. Mary is first at the tomb, and she sees him first. Who is this Mary? Mary of Magdala. 
And Mary of Magdala really matters. She's mentioned almost more than any of the other, or any of the apostles, any of the 12. We read that Jesus freed her from seven wicked spirits, demonic shadows that defiled her and tormented her. Her appellation, Magdalene, associates her with this town, Magdala. It was a town in Galilee. Some of you may have been near there. I've been near there. And she accompanied Jesus from the start of his ministry. Now, here's the thing. Magdala had a reputation, and it wasn't a good one. It was a place of brothels. And it was where all the Roman soldiers went for a bit of leisure and pleasure. In Magdala. And in the Jewish Talmud, the great dictionary of thought and reflection by the rabbis on the Torah, it says that it was a town of fornication. This was an immoral place. And she's given the, the, she's given the title Magdala. Why? Did she live there? I think more is being made of it personally. I think it's saying, the writers are saying that this woman, it, it's a euphemism, she was a prostitute. But what matters is not where you came from, but where you go in. The story may begin with her demonized and a prostitute in Magdala, but it ends with her as an apostle to the apostles and the first of the two. That's what matters. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It matters where you're going. And what a difference Jesus made to her life. Some think Mary Magdalene is the sinful woman we read about who gate-crashed the dinner party and anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and perfume and let down her hair. Traditionally, the Catholic Church has said that it was the same Mary who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus who'd got fallen into an uh, ignoble profession who sat at Jesus' feet when he taught and then later, just before his arrest, uh, in Bethany, she again anoints him with nard. We can't really say for sure they're all called Mary. We could triangulate it. What we do see is here at the resurrection, when she sees Jesus, again she falls at her feet. Nearly every reference to her earlier is to do with feet, or many of them. Jesus' feet. She anointed his feet with tears and kissing them. She wiped them with her hair. She poured the perfume on his feet. She sat at his feet. And here is Jesus resurrected in the garden. And again, she's at his feet. She loved those feet. She loved that man. And it's important to note she held on to his feet. This is not a ghost. This is not some vague spiritual apparition. This is not a vision. This is of substance. She held his feet physically, tangibly, visibly. The conquering king of death. In a 1935 essay by Dorothy L. Sayers about Jesus, she wrote, perhaps it is no wonder that the women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. 
and the first at the tomb. They had never known a man like this man. There'd never been a man like this man. Every other man, they're going to let someone down, fickle and frail and fallible, but not this man. Not this man. And then fourthly, Mary. Mary is the first word that Jesus says at the resurrection. What a beautiful thing that is. Jesus' first recorded words are not, boo! (laughs) They're not, I told you so. They're not, I'll be back. They're not, where is Pilate? They're Mary. Mary. Mary is weeping at the tomb and through her bleary eyes she sees a figure and she thinks him the gardener. She says, sir, if you've moved him, please tell me where he is and I'll get him. And then the first name uttered, tenderly, lovingly, personally, Jesus says, Mary. He doesn't say, Mary of Magdala, out of whom I cast seven demons. Mary. She knew instantly that was the same voice that has spoken the words of power that has set her free from those tormenting spirits. The word of grace that welcomed her when she felt overwhelmed by the mess of her life. And Mary replies, Rabboni, my teacher. Mary says, Matthew says she held his feet, as I said, and worshipped him. He's not just a teacher. He's the one worthy of worship. For all the cosmic significance of this kind of Kairos event of the resurrection of the Son of God at Easter, for me this one word stands out. The dread champion, Jesus, speaks this loving word. This intimate word, this tender word. Mary, he knows who she is. He knows her name. He knows her past. He knows her future. She was in his heart and mind when he died at the cross. And there she is. And he can speak that word to her. He calls her by name. She's a person. She's known. She's seen. She's registered, she's loved, she's validated. I've got a a great friend who was one of five kids growing up in Belfast. Father was a drunk and a a mean one with it. And he beat my chum mercilessly as a boy. And my friend said that his father never called him by his name. He was the fifth kid, do you know what he called him? Stupid number five. Stupid number five. And he got cut by the man's tongue and he got cut by the man's belt. And I've heard my friend talk about encountering Jesus. Suddenly, in his teens, having grown up being a nobody and a nothing, just a stupid number five. Suddenly, 
being named and known. And Jesus knows you. And he knows you by name. He's always wanted to be on first name terms with you. The prophet Isaiah said that at the cross, that Jesus bore our names engraved on his palms. He says, can a mother forget a baby at her breast? As if, even if she could, says the prophet. See, I will never forget you. You're engraved on the palms of my hand. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows who you are, where you are, and how you are. He knows where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. He knows all about you. And the one who met Mary in the garden and spoke her name is the one who wants to meet you this evening and speaks your name. It's not just generic. It's not just humankind, mankind, people, humanity. Seven billion in the world today. It's you. He knows all about you. And he wants to reveal all of himself to you. And then, finally, Mary is the first apostle of the gospel. Mary held on to Jesus. She never wanted to let him go. And when you first meet him, you don't. You just want to hold on. Some of you are here this evening, and you've been listening to all that singing. You've thought, well, I quite like the tunes, but... You know, these people are getting a little bit giddy and a little bit keen and muscle. But when you've met him, you don't want to let go. And that's why we keep singing and worshipping. And she could have stayed there forever, holding him and worshipping him and just bathing in his love. But the fact is that what she had encountered what she did experience was not just for her. It couldn't be turned into just a personal piety. It had to get at the good news that got to be told. We cannot keep it to ourselves. The angels who said to the women, come and see, then said, go and tell. Once you've seen, you've got to go and share. And Mary Magdala, Mary the prostitute, who'd been delivered of seven demons, is commissioned to go back to the apostles and tell them she's a faithful disciple. All the men legged it, but she was there at the cross. And she goes back. St. Thomas Aquinas says she is the apostle to the apostles. And she returns and she tells them the good news. And we read in Luke's gospel, they, the men didn't believe her is typical. Throughout the history of the church, the men have not believed what women have got to say in the church all too often. It wouldn't be the first time that women are not trusted with God's word tragically. I believe this evening that there are some women here. You've been trapped wrong by the church, but the Lord wants to speak your name. And say, having come and seen, you are to go and tell. He wants to commission you and send you to speak for him. Lots of firsts. There are lots of firsts in this Easter story. 
With few exceptions, Mary and the women, most of the players that we read about in the narrative over the three days of Easter have put themselves first. Judas put himself first and he betrayed Jesus for a few pieces of silver. The Jewish authorities arrested Jesus to preserve their power over the people. They put themselves first. The disciples abandoned and denied Jesus for fear. They put themselves first. Pilate crucified Jesus to keep the peace, to keep things in order. He put himself in that first. The tomb guards were bought off, were bribed to say that, you know, the, someone had stolen the body. They put themselves first. The women put Jesus first. And Easter is about God in Christ Jesus at the cross and at the resurrection putting you first. And the challenge and the invitation for us, how do we respond to this at Easter? We're invited to put him first. It's a great old hymn, school assembly hymn really, Be Thou My Vision. We ought to bring it back in a modern tune. And it says this, Riches I need not, nor vain empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, the first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Jesus put you first at Easter. This Easter put him first.